Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. It's hard to believe that hand washing, hand washing even in even in surgical settings, uh, has really only been a thing for about the last hundred and fifty years. Uh, a Hungarian doctor working in the Vienna General Hospital is known as the father of hand hygiene. Um, I'm going to try to say his name, but I'm sure I'm going to say it wrong. It's Ignaz Simmelweis, something like that. In 1846, he noticed that the women giving birth in the medical student or, and, and doctor-run maternity ward in his hospital were much more likely to develop fever and die compared to the women giving birth in the midwife-run maternity ward next door. He decided to investigate and see the differences between the two places, the two wards, and what he noticed was that doctors and medical students often visited the maternity ward immediately after having performed autopsies in the morgue in the basement. And they would go with unwashed hands from having done autopsies to deliver babies. And so no wonder that many of those babies and those mothers, I believe nearly uh, as many as one in five, uh, would contract infections and, and, and develop fevers and die. He realized that midwives did not conduct surgeries or autopsies, and so they were not exposed to the same kinds of particles. And so as a result, this man imposed a new rule uh, mandating that his doctors and students uh, would wash their hands uh, with chlorine. And as a result of this hand washing, um, the rates of death in his maternity ward fell dramatically. In fact, the mortality rate dropped, if I'm not mistaken, from about 20% down to about 1%. Wonderful improvement. However, the innovation was not popular with everyone. Some of the doctors were upset that this man was indicating that these doctors were to blame for the deaths, and they stopped washing their hands, arguing in support of the prevailing uh, understanding of the time that water and odors in the air, particles floating around, different things, uh, what they used to call miasma, uh, were responsible rather than spreading impurities uh, by unwashed hands. As a result, the effects and the impact of people uh, failing to wash their hands continued, and uh, Dr. Simmelweis, uh, though he knew what he was talking about, grew so discouraged and distraught that it is reported he ended up with a, a mental breakdown and died at a young age in his early 40s. I want to talk to you this evening about the importance and the dynamics of purity. Purity. John chapter 17 and verse 13, we read these words. These are the words of Jesus from his great high priestly prayer. 
But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's bow our hearts for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to look into your word. Lord, we ask that you will enable us to see clearly what you want us to see and understand it from our hearts. We pray that you will speak to each one of us uniquely by your Spirit. And Lord, would you give us a heart that desires and intends to walk in the light of the truth. And then, Lord, would you empower us to do that. And we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. This is, if you want to look at it this way, kind of the last will and testament of Jesus before he goes to the cross. This is his prayer before the Father, and he's expressing really and summing up all that uh, he has done and accomplished in ministry in the world, and he's kind of wrapping it all up and presenting it to the Father and making his final request before he is to go to the Father. And in all of this, he asks that though he knows his followers, the disciples, will not be popular in the world, he knows that they are not of the world like himself. And in spite of all of that, he says, Lord, he says, Father, not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one, keep them safe, keep them secure, and keep them pure within the world that they are living in. I heard a gentleman was listening to a, a, a pastor speak uh, just a day or so ago, and he was saying it is, uh, an, it is okay when a boat is in the water. It's okay when a boat is in the water, but, ben, but when water begins to get inside the boat, then that's a problem. And friends, we need to understand that for the church and for earnest Christ followers, it is okay that we are in the world. We are supposed to be in the world, but it is a problem for us when the world begins to come inside the church. So in this prayer, a number of things Jesus prays for, but one primarily is for the sanctifying power and work of God to take place in his followers. When we think about something that is dynamic, I, I've called this the dynamics of purity, and um, you know what is the opposite of something that is dynamic? The opposite of something dynamic is something that is static. And so dynamic is the, is the motion or the movement, the, the power that makes something happen. 
And so basically that's what we're looking at, is what makes purity, what brings about purity, the sanctifying, uh, the divine sanctifying power of God in our lives. And the first thing I want to point out to you is this, that we are sanctified by God the Father. We are sanctified by God the Father. We understand from Scripture, we could read the verse in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 4 that tells us that only God is holy. If you want to think about what the word holy means, it is a word that means uh, very simply unique. It is a word that means set apart, different. And uh, all of us derive from someone else, from something else, but only God in all of this universe is underived, uncreated. He exists completely because of Himself. That's how He introduced Himself to Moses. He said, uh, when Moses asked, uh, when I go to the, the Israelite elders, when I go to Pharaoh, and they ask, who told you to do this? God said, you tell them, I am has sent you. In other words, he is the self-existent, uncreated one. That's a big thought, but it is something I think that we can get a hold of. What is a little bit bigger and perhaps more difficult is how does this come to you and I as believers when the Bible tells us that we are called to be holy, we are called to purity, not to uncleanness. We're called to be sanctified. Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified. He's praying here to His Father that His followers would be sanctified. We should pause for just a moment and talk about this word sanctify, uh, about what it means. It is based on the, the Latin word uh, to make holy. Uh, there is, as far as I know, I mean, if we were to, to, to coin a word, which you've probably heard me mention this before, we might make up a word and call it holify, to be made holy. That is essentially what the word sanctify means. And there are several elements of this word, of what it means. One, it means to be set apart. And anything that is set apart is set apart in two ways. It is, first of all, set apart away from, and then it is also set apart unto. So we are set apart away from and we are set apart unto. I've used this illustration, but it's an easy one. Uh, I have uh, one of my kids has some food allergies, and so because of that, they have, uh, we try to, to help him enjoy treats uh, that he can have that are safe for him to have that uh, uh, the others. Now, sometimes we share, we don't make it exclusively his, but... Um, uh, we we buy him his own we buy him his own ice cream we buy him his own cookies and those are sanctified cookies they are set apart away from the rest of us because we can have normal treats we can have normal ice cream we can have normal cookies 
but they are so so those that are for Scott are set apart away from us and they are set apart unto himself they're for him this is a, a big part of what it means to be sanctified Whatever has been sanctified has been set apart away from what is impure or might cause defilement and is set apart and dedicated unto God for His exclusive use. And that's the other idea. And there's more to this that we could go and dig deeper, but we're not going to take the time to do that this evening. Uh, but this is the, the kind of the big picture of what it means uh, to sanctify. Um, so then this leads us to the question, how does anything become holy? How does anything become sanctified? <clears throat> Let me take you back again to Exodus chapter 3. When Moses sees as he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep and he turns aside to see this bush that's on fire and is burning and he goes to find out what's going on. This is very interesting. This bush is on fire but it's not consumed and uh, as he approaches he hears a voice coming from the burning bush that says, Moses, take your shoes off for the place where you are standing is holy ground, holy ground. Now let me ask you to consider for a moment what was special about that ground that made it holy ground. Well, up until that very moment, it was just ordinary sand and dirt and rocks like all of the other desert land around it. But as soon as God came and took up His habitation in that place and uh, set the burning bush on fire, God set that ground apart for His own exclusive use. And because of God's presence there, that ground became holy ground. So if only God is holy then how can, and, and nothing else is holy but God, then how can we comply? How can we follow the command of Scripture that says we are to be holy like God is holy? Well, we see from this passage that we can be holy through a connection with the source of holiness. We might say it this way, only God has an underived holiness in Himself. But you and I can have a holiness that is derived from our relationship with God. It is only God who can sanctify us. The grammar of verse 17 in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth, uh, the grammar suggests that this is an earnest and a pleading request from Jesus. He recognizes the importance of it, and He recognizes and is indicating to us the importance that this is something that God does. It's not something that we can do for ourselves. On our own, friends, you and I come into this world defiled and, and marked by sin, with the effects of sin already clinging to us. 
We cannot sanctify ourselves, but friends, God can. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 8, God says, I am the God who sanctifies you. We can't do it for ourselves, but friends, God can do it for us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul gives us this wonderful promise. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely, that is, through and through. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Amen. We are sanctified by God the Father. Also notice, we are sanctified through the sacrifice of the Son. We are sanctified through the sacrifice of the Son. Notice here this big word, consecration. We used to hear more about consecration than we do these days. Uh, That's a pity in some ways, I think. But I don't suppose it matters what you call it as long as the essence of what it means is accomplished in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 17, For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth or in reality. Jesus had no need for purity. You remember how when Jesus first began his earthly ministry and he came to John the Baptist who was there baptizing and he requested that he would be baptized by John and John said, oh, you don't have any need to be baptized by me, but it's I, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus went on to set the example for his followers, and in that time as Jesus went under and came out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and the voice from heaven spoke saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus in that moment began his earthly ministry and continued throughout until we come to this point where he is praying to the Father and understanding already the will of the Father that God had called him to go to the cross. And Jesus said, I consecrate myself, I dedicate myself, I surrender myself wholly, completely, totally so that they may be sanctified in truth. Paul gives us words uh, for us to pray in Romans 12, verse 1, that, that kind of go alongside of this prayer of Jesus. He says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because of the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word here for present Uh, where it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. As I understand, it is the same word that is used uh, of Mary and Joseph when it says they brought the baby Jesus and presented him at the temple to be circumcised. It's also the, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word that would be used in the Old Testament when someone brought a sin offering or a sacrifice for sin and they would present that sacrifice to the priest as their atoning sacrifice, the, the sacrifice that was to atone for their sins, and they would say, here is my sacrifice. 
And once it was out of their hands and in the hands of the priest, there was a sentence of death upon that sacrificial animal. And this is what we are called to as believers, to follow in the example of Christ. We are sanctified through the sacrifice of the Son. And friends, no one ever uh, has been able to commit suicide by crucifixion. Have you ever thought about that? I would not thought about it until I heard someone uh, sometime back mention this. Nobody ever committed suicide by crucifixion because it's not something that you can do to yourself. It's something that has to be done to you. It's something that has to be done for you. And this is why Paul says in following the example of Christ who consecrated himself, he gave himself up unto death. We also consecrate ourselves. We present our bodies a living sacrifice. Like the old timers used to say, lock, stock, and barrel, everything, not holding anything back, but all that I am, all that I hope to be. And then we live moment by moment in that place of consecration, fully surrendered to the Lord. You say, Pastor, but I I only know about what's happened up to now. I don't know about the future. I don't know what the future may hold. Well, friends, implicit in our consecration is a commitment to full obedience to the Lord. That we say to Him as we commit, as we surrender, as we consecrate, we also say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what you may ask of me or what you may call me to in the future, but the answer is always going to be yes. My response will always be in obedience to your will. Jesus had no need to be purified, but he did consecrate. He devoted himself. He dedicated himself so that we also may be sanctified. And Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12 tells us, let me back up to verse 11. Verse 11 says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. We are sanctified By God the Father, we are sanctified through the sacrifice of the Son. Finally, notice we are sanctified by the Word. We are sanctified by the Word. Again, back to John chapter 17. Verse 17, Jesus prays, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. And verse 19, he says, And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now in verse 19, there's a little bit of a different emphasis. Verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 19, he says, That they also may be sanctified in truth or in reality. For real we can be sanctified for real. Light is what reveals 
reality to us as it is. Psalm 119 verse 30 says, The entrance of thy word giveth light. When God's word comes into our heart and life and the Spirit gives us understanding, then we have light. We understand something of who God is. We understand something of who we are in relation to God. One of the things that was a wonderful blessing that Chloe mentioned about uh, Brother Avery's message, uh, 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 dealing with the question about how God sees us, how God sees me. And many times we, we think of ourselves and we think of God looking upon us uh, in a, a performance-oriented mindset that God would look at us and say, usually, you should try harder. You could do better. And that is so common, but friends, the wonderful reality and truth of the matter is that we serve a God whose thoughts towards us are more in number than the sands on the seashore. And the prophets say He rejoices over us with singing. He is a God who loves us, a God who cares for us. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 13 and 14 tells us uh, a little bit more about light. It says, well, I'm not going to read the whole verse. It says, whatever makes manifest or whatever makes visible is light. So God's Word is the light by which we are to see ourselves and by which we are to see God. It is when we come to God and when we see ourselves in light of His Word, we may at times end up like Isaiah, who in his vision uh, we read about in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the Lord on His throne high and lifted up, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and there were, there were uh, heavenly beings calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And when Isaiah caught that vision of God, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he recognized his impurity in light of God's burning purity. But what did God do for Isaiah? He didn't reject him. He didn't send him away. But one of the cherubim went with tongs and took a coal from off the altar and brought it and applied it to his lips and said, this has taken away your iniquity and your sin is purged. You are purified. Friends, we are sanctified by the Word. The Word also is the mirror in which we see ourselves. A similar idea uh, of seeing the Word as light. The Word is the mirror in James chapter 1, uh, 23 and 24, essentially tells us that there are two things we can do when we look in a mirror and see dirt on our face. You can either break the mirror or you can wash your face. And friends, this is what we see in God's Word. God's Word shows us who we are and shows us our need. But then also, it goes beyond that. God's Word is the promise that calls us to holiness and tells us that holiness is not just something that we are called to. It's not just a, a high level of living that we might aspire to but can never quite reach. 
It's not something that is reserved for the, uh, for the uh, extra special deluxe model Christian. But it is something for everybody. Something that we are all called to. I mentioned to you the, the scripture a few moments ago from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where it says, And the God of peace sanctify you through and through, and uh, uh, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You see, friends, I think all too often we have heard in the call to holiness a demand, but we have missed the promise that is implicit in that call. You see, anything that God calls us to is a, also has a promise implicit in us, that, uh, implicit for us, that it is a possibility, that it can be a reality. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 19, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That is in reality. That is for real. For real. You and I can be sanctified. You, you and I can be sanctified holy. We can be holy gods, completely gods. Does that mean we're perfect in every way? No, it doesn't mean we're perfect in every way. You see, Wesleyan perfection is a, a moment-by-moment living and walking in the light of God. And as we moment by moment walk in the light according to the Spirit and the Spirit's direction, having consecrated, submitted ourselves wholly to God, and believed by faith for the promise of the Father, we are kept in His love, we are kept in His light, and we are kept in purity. Amen. We can be sanctified for real. Amen.